You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. I'm not going to read the Luke Christmas story this morning. I look around this room. I know most people. You can go read that or you've heard it. You know the story in Luke. So, you know, I'm not going to actually read that this morning, but we're going to talk about the Christmas story from a little different angle. But uh, next week, like I said, will be the Lord's Supper and then back to the book of Mark. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. But those of you who know me well know that my favorite passage of Scripture is Philippians chapter 2. Like, so I have a heart, like I fight every year just not preaching this passage at Christmas every year. Um, it's my favorite passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. I love how it starts with this thing about the, the, the unity and the, how we're to be with one another in the church and as brothers and sisters in Christ and, um, unity in the Spirit, all these kind of, kind of things and then how we treat each other and then what's the basis for that is Christ that we'll get into today, but, um, it's amazing stuff, and I'm, I learn things all the time, and I just and seeing new things in new ways as God teaches me. And so, Philippians chapter two is what I would consider, and I've made this statement before. I I consider Philippians two to be the best incarnation passage of Scripture in the Bible, and by incarnation I mean Jesus become man and being on earth among us as a man, um, Jesus. And it's just the way it lays it out, the way it talks about it, and understanding the gospels in there. There's it's so deep and so rich, and there's so much there. It's it's so challenging. Is probably the worst part for me, is that I read that, and every single time I think about any of that stuff in there, consider others more important than yourselves. Don't think about yourself, but think of others. Um, you know, so it's saying serve people, put other people's agenda before yours. And there's all this stuff that it's just like. Man, that's that's a daily struggle kind of thing. That's just not something that gets fixed because you get saved. It's a struggle to submit to Christ and do that all the time. And sometimes we even put that in the box of, well, I'll respond that way like Christ as long as they respond like Christ to me. So, you know, it's like it's a lot of times conditional, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. But let's pray and then we'll read a little bit in Philippians. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 6. So let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this time of year that we're reminded of the birth of Jesus. The, the one of the God, one of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, come to earth as a man, leaving heaven for us in your divine plan. Father, we just we just thank you that we get to be reminded of this come Easter we're reminded of the resurrection help us not to forget those things in between just the deep uh, understanding of your word and what you teach us about who you are who we are and, and what we should do with that and so as I speak from your word today father and and talk about this would you just help me um, may this this just be your words May your spirit do what only you can do, what only your spirit can do. Because uh, I am limited, but you're unlimited. There's no limit to what you can do, even with the people in this room. 
and those listening online. So, Father, thank you for your power, for, for allowing us to know you and your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, Philippians 2, I'm going to read 6 through 8, start with, talk about it a little bit, and then we'll go 9 through 11. Um, but talking about Jesus is who this is talking about. It's been talking about, um, talking about Jesus. And so, have the, it, it, right before this it says, have the same attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, um, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I could just spend a month preaching on just what all's in that statement. Okay? Rather, he made himself nothing by, by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus' favorite word that he uses most often to describe a disciple of his, that word servant. Being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not just dying one day, but submitted to the worst type death at that time of history. And this passage, in my view, captures the full weight of the incarnation more than any text in Scripture. Have you looked at a newborn baby lately? I mean, your heart has to be made of stone, like if you don't look at a, a newborn and those little fingers and toes and the little sounds they make and all that stuff, and your heart not just melt. Um, it's an astonishing miracle. Like, I don't care how much we learn medically about certain things like the human eye, all these things. There is still so much there that we don't know and can't understand because it's so much more complex than we could ever imagine. So, so imagine the, the formation of a human life is just, it's, it's incredible. When you think back to biology class, the baby starts out as a embryo, right? Anybody know how big an embryo is? Nobody's, Emmanuel's like looking back like, I know I got taught that this year. I can't remember. Okay. It's, it's, they say a good way to, to understand it. It's half the size of a grain of sand. Okay. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is to me. I, I know that's like nerd stuff, but it's why I'm good at Jeopardy. Okay. My wife goes, where'd all this stuff come from? Right. But to think half a grain of sand and nine months later, like a human comes out, right? Now stay with me. Just before Jesus was born, or before Jesus was, let me say this, before Jesus was an embryo in Mary, before he was half the size of a tiny grain of sand, he was something big, okay? Now me and you, before we were an embryo, we were nothing, okay? Nothing. Before Jesus was an embryo, He was the second person of the Holy Trinity existing from eternity past. Okay, The text says there in verse 6 that Jesus was in very nature God. He was equal with God. Equal with God. And, I mean, you catch that? And then He becomes half the size of a grain of sand to become a human. I was driving home from Morristown back, this is back when my 
Cole was seven years old at the time, and I was telling Nikki about something I had learned about Jesus that day. I was just, things I was learning. And Cole chimes in. He's listening back and says, I think Cale was just months old. He chimes in and says, Dad, Jesus isn't Lord. Thank you, seven-year-old. We should tell the preacher that, right? And, of course, I said, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean he's, he's not Lord? And he says, when Jesus was here on earth, he prayed to God the Father, right? So Jesus can't be Lord. Jesus is second in command. That's what he says, okay? And that's actually what a whole lot of people think. They have that, or they think he's not God at all, right? And that is actually not true. And, and so I thought I would explain the Trinity to a seven-year-old, right? Going to where we were going with the five minutes we had left. But of course, I didn't get far in explaining three in one, three distinct persons, one God, and, and you know, all that. And Cole says, okay, okay, how much further do we get to where we're going? Okay. Can we talk about something else? And I was just like, okay. And many people think Jesus is like a junior partner in the Trinity firm, right? He's he's like backup quarterback. Um, but Scripture teaches that that's not the case. He is a full member of the Godhead. Like you cannot read a legit Bible and get that Jesus is not God. You, you just can't get that. Which means when Isaiah 6 mentions angels hovering over the throne in heaven from eternity past, singing holy, 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 in full voice, in perfect harmony, they were glorifying Jesus every bit as much as they were glorifying God the Father and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1.26 when it says, let us make man in our image, the language is very specific. It means Jesus was fully involved and present during the entire creation miracle. Because He's always been there. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things. And all things means all things. I'm a great Greek and Hebrew scholar, right? It means all things. And in Him, all things hold together. Like only God can create all things and then hold all things together. And this passage is specifically talking about Jesus. And what, what, what am I getting at in this? Okay, it, it's this: not only was Jesus fully God, but all of God's authority and powers were completely available to Him. Which means, if you start out up there as part of the Trinity, fully God, and wind up down here on planet Earth as an embryo, half the size of a grain of sand in the womb of a 14-year-old girl, right? That's, that's a big demotion. And he submitted himself to God the Father to come down and, and do this for us. It's, it's a big demotion. I think it's obvious that you lose, you lose a little bit there. Some stature when you take that kind of assignment, right? Question. How do you respond when you lose a little clout, a little stature, get demoted? I mean, let's just take something simple. How often, 
Do you see someone get moved from their seat, like at some show or an event? Or they don't get the hotel room they wanted, like they were expecting the suite, and they get put in this single kind of room, right? They're like, oh, sorry, we're all out of those, but we're still going to charge you the same. Like, you, like that doesn't go over well, does it? I mean, when that happens to people, people often will, you've seen it. I won't blame you. I won't say you've done it. I'll just say you've seen it, right? And people are there at the hotel room, hotel desk, and they start declaring people's eternal destination, even though they don't know the Bible that well, right? People end up having a terrible time at some something great that they could be enjoying because they got demoted or felt like they lost something. Lost a little clout. Lost a little stature. Do any of us take demotions lightly? If we're honest, if we get demoted in any organization, what do we usually do? Quit. We leave, right? I'm out of here. We leave it. We leave if things aren't the way we want them to be. If we don't get the table we want at a restaurant when we made reservations for it, they don't seat us right away. We get mad within five minutes. Man, I made reservations. I'm supposed to walk in and just sit down, right? We walk out. If the rental car company doesn't have the full-size car, oh, they give us some mid-size sedan. That's not what we reserved, right? We push the contract back across the table and we just walk down to the next rental place, don't we? No one takes demotions lying down. We don't like it, right? Yet on Incarnation Day, when Jesus, God became an embryo, the second greatest demotion in eternity occurred. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Really? Like that doesn't even compute in my mind. Knowing what I know about Jesus from Scripture and about God and how that works, like I, like that statement alone, just I just go, how did he... How could he think that way? Right? But yet there was purpose in what he was doing. If you're really, if you were enjoying heaven and the unity of, and perfection and indescribable pleasure and joy and splendor of, of it all, would you voluntarily open up your grip and let go of all that? Really? Not as humans. Right? Just imagine if I told you, I've got a key to an ocean front house down in Florida, right on the beach, got its own swimming pool and hot tub. You can and I'm saying you can go there and stay as long as you want. I'll even throw in and we'll we'll pay all expenses. You can quit your job, stay as long as you want and just live there. Like we'll just even pay pay you a salary, right? Right on the beach, beautiful white sand, finest furniture, most comfortable beds. 12-bedroom home, just huge, right on the beach, right? Carpet so plush, it just sucks the shoes off your feet when you walk across it, right? I mean, just just awesome. Latest technology, flat screens everywhere. You even go in the bathroom and uh, in, set in the mirror. You can't even see it, but you can grab a remote and turn on TV. pops right up in the mirror. I've seen that in the house before. It's crazy, right? And if, it, it, if that didn't suit you, there's a 20-seat reclining seat, soundproof theater room, complete with candy, popcorn, soft drinks, all that made for And you ain't got to wash and clean or do nothing, do any laundry, nothing. There's a full staff there for you to take care of all that stuff. 
exercise room, basketball court, a chef, right? New cars in the garage with keys in them. How long would you stay? Like you wouldn't even miss your friends. You wouldn't miss none of us, would you? You'd just be like, hey, wish you were here, right? Would you Would you ever come back? I mean, some of you, like like myself, you've been to nice places, stayed nice places, and you, you get there and you stay for a while, and what happens? Florida crew, right? Our ladies that disappear for a month every year, right? If you're like me, you, you, you don't want to leave and come back to your rickety old house. It doesn't matter how great a house you have. Once you've been down there, it's like, I don't want to go back to that place, right? If I changed my mind when I gave you the key, I said, hey, Really, you can only stay two days. How would you feel after I told you you could stay as long as you wanted, all that stuff, right? You'd feel cheated, wouldn't you? You'd be a little bit aggravated. You'd probably go, I don't want to go at all. Right? you just let somebody else go. I don't want to go. Like You'd make us a little bit mad, right? Listen, none of us have any idea. Our minds cannot even grasp what Jesus left behind when He came to earth, when He stepped out of heaven and came down here. Left the splendor of heaven being worshipped 24-7. Listen to the description from Scripture because our human words can't even describe it. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Isn't that incredible? I mean, the nicest place you've ever been, the greatest house you could ever imagine, any of that stuff does not compare to what we're going to experience as believers if we're His in eternity with Him. Nothing can compare. And Jesus left that place voluntarily, not just for a week, but for 33 years. And the moment he left all of that, he became an embryo and a 14-year-old girl from a little podunk cow town in the Middle East, right? There has never been such a dramatic demotion and will never be such a dramatic demotion. It doesn't end there, however. Jesus endured much more. Jesus endured the indignity of being born in a stable. We're not talking about something cute and like we see our little nativity scenes, right? romanticized the, the manger scene, but there's nothing to make of it. It was filthy conditions, surrounded by smelly livestock, didn't have anything to wrap him in, ripped up some some cloth, used those rags, that's all they could afford, that's all they had to keep him warm, laying him in a feeding trough so Mary could rest from time to time. I think I don't have time to go into it, but there's a there's a whole reason why that I believe Jesus was born the way He was born, not in some big hotel, not in a bank lobby, not in all these places that you go, where would a king be born? In a palace? In a, I think it was done that way because Jesus was for everybody. I mean, if He was born in some big palace, would we feel like, well, that's for me? So much more explanation than that I don't have time for. But could it get any worse? Yeah, King Herod, what's he do? Orders baby genocide. And so before Jesus can even walk or take his family or talk to his family, he's on the run for his life. The family's on the run for their life in a foreign country where he and his family, listen, 
live as illegal aliens. I'm not trying to be political. Okay, don't don't just listen. Okay. The one we worship was an illegal alien running for his life at less than two years of age. Something to think about. Okay. So, can you get demoted more than that? Okay. Yeah, Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus grew up and he, and he took on the nature of a servant. I mean, we just keep going, right? You remember in Scripture when it was time for the disciples and Jesus, uh, they were going to have the, the Last Supper and nobody organized the foot washing kid that was supposed to be there to do that. And they were too proud to wash each other's feet. And so, Jesus is like, who's going to do this? And everybody's like, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. Right? And Jesus slowly gets up, takes off his outer robe, takes on a serving towel, puts it over his arm, takes a basin of water, pours it, washes the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples. And that's what it means to take on the nature of a servant. On the one side, it makes me feel better that the disciples didn't always get it. Okay, It makes me feel better that they acted that way because I go, yeah, because I act that way sometimes. Right? And then on the other hand, it, it makes me want to give more grace and help try to help more then I try to demand things to be my way. When I see, when I understand this, I how about you? I don't know. Remember how Jesus would teach his heart out for hours, giving truth straight from heaven to people on planet Earth with a third grade education, and they would mock him, right? Make fun of him. People he had created. Can you get demoted more than that? Yeah. You can get betrayed by 12 guys you pour your life into for three years and get deserted by all your closest friends and followers at your greatest time of need. Can't even stay awake to pray with him, right? You can be accused of a crime you didn't commit, be beaten and whipped and treated like a common thug by the very people you created and came to save. Right? But can you get demoted further than that? Yes. Philippians 2.8 says, you can become obedient even to death, to, even to death on a cross. What it means is the second person of the Trinity who has only known sinlessness. Okay? He's only known no sin for him, has all the weight, all the sins of the world loaded on his shoulders on the cross. It's all your sin, all my sin. Mine's an impressive pile. Don't know about yours. All sin, past, present, future, for us, loaded onto his sinless shoulders. 
to the extent that no one has ever shouldered that much sin. Stripped of his clothes, humiliated and left to die as a criminal. And sinner, he dies. The author of life, the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve and breathed life into you and me, draws his last breath and says, it is finished. He's demoted to taking the ultimate weapon of evil, death. And that's the final and greatest emotion ever. The giver of life who gives up his life for you and me. And he spills his blood to cover your sin and mine. And I know this is a little heavy and you're just thinking, man, come on, Marty, I got company coming over for Christmas. I just want to go home and watch a ball game and, and wrap a few more gifts and just lighten up a little bit, okay? Like, I, I, I understand. But here's the deal. I just, I'm just going to ask you to not make this a normal Christmas. Don't let this just roll by like every other year. Like Nikki and I were talking last night. We were just, we are, we've, I've dealt with parents sick, kids sick. I know a lot of you have been through a lot of stuff. Um, I've, I've dealt with chaplain calls, fundraisers. There's been all kinds, it's just been busy. There's a ladder in my living room with a bow on top of it that's supposed to go on top of the Christmas tree that's been there for about three days. Okay? And Christmas is Wednesday. Wednesday. It's just been that way for us. Okay? And you may be in that same boat. And whether you're in that mode of, and this Christmas is going to be great. I know what I'm getting. It's what I wanted. You know, and all that stuff. Or whatever it is. Or some of you, it's the other end. There's people here that have husband, got a husband in the... Um, Lance's husband in the hospital in ICU almost had a bad outcome for his life. I mean, there's just so many things. A lot of you have gone through a lot of things. Okay, So whether it's up here or it's down here, don't let that just be normal. Don't let that be the, your normal Christmas. It's either good or it's really bad. Whether it seems either way, I want you to know that the first Christmas for our Lord and Savior was not normal either. Okay? It was Demotion Day, followed quickly by Refugee Day, right? And then Demotion after Demotion until Death Day. And He did it for His glory and out of love for you to rescue you. And I, and I just wanted to do my best this morning to just kind of shock your brains, make you think a little bit, you're traveling on that Christmas path, uh, and the secular world seems to push you into this little channel you gotta, you gotta ride in, right? And just try to get you out of that. Before you start focusing on gift exchanging and eating more than you should, don't worry, Baptist preachers never preach on gluttony. It's okay, right? It's really not, but, you know what I'm saying? Obviously. Okay? But before it gets into all that stuff that has really little to do with Christmas and what it really means, I, I hope there's things like, like I'll throw this one out there and maybe this will help you. Like when you drive by and your neighbor's got that little plastic nativity scene over there in the yard, it, that miracle scene with the baby lying so sweetly in that manger and, and, and you drive by it and it's just an, 
it gets to be that's just another scene of Christmas that, that doesn't mean a whole lot. We just miss it. You understand that that baby di- just didn't come from an em- embryo that's laying in there. That, that baby came from heaven. That, that was the second figure of the Godhead, the Trinity. And he didn't have to leave it. He voluntarily and joyfully on a mission came to forgive you and me. But that just rocks into your mind when you see that. And the, and the right thing for us between now and Christmas at some point is that we would just see one of those scenes, maybe pull over to the side, maybe just pause, maybe when we pull in the driveway, just stop for a minute and just think about that scene and just think about what it means and just bow our heads in reverence for just a moment and just say, God, you are just so awesome. Christ, you are so awesome. Jesus, thank you. You're just wonderful. Could we just pause every now and then through this through, during Christmas and do that? Maybe between now and Christmas Day, some of you would just find a place and get alone and and just say, I will not let this Christmas be a normal Christmas because this year I'm going to pour out my heart and I'm going to worship You, God. And I'm going to thank You for Jesus. And I'm going to adore You like never before. I just want my heart to be more for You than, than distracted and less by all this other stuff. Just lift our hearts in worship to Jesus. Maybe some of you between now and Christmas Day would just do that. And I, 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 I can't speak for him, but I would just say it would probably mean a lot to Jesus if we would do that. If between now and then you would just have that outpouring of adoration for this demoted Savior who did this joyfully because He loves you, all because He loves you, that you just simply return that love to Him. Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus took on the nature of a servant. So I have one last question. Okay, Think about this. Okay, Can the purposes of God be forwarded in any significant way without the followers of Christ taking on the nature of a servant. Can they? Think about it. How do the poor receive any kind of help or hope in this world unless a Christ follower puts a serving towel over their arm and serves them? Loves them, feeds them, or financial commits to feeding them? No serve. If we don't serve, there's no food, right? For some people. How do church leaders in under-resourced countries like Honduras get the resources they need unless Christ followers in resource countries put on a serving towel over their arms and serve and write checks and make things like that happen or go down there and serve? or No service, no change. Because it's just hard, Right? How does does someone far from God ever end up redeemed and restored unless a fired up Christ follower takes on the nature of a servant and gets off the busy treadmill and sits and, and they see this person as a person that God loves and try to befriend them and listen to their story and pray for them and have an open door. And when the 
they open the door on their side, tell them about Jesus. That God loves them. That Christ left heaven and makes a way for them to be in the family of God and the doors of the kingdom are open for you. Like, unless we serve people, how's that going to happen? That kind of sacrifice, okay, and I'm going to put it this way. That kind of sacrifice and service to people is what leads people to salvation in Christ. I'll just, I don't want to say 100% because I'm not going to put God in any kind of box. But I believe it's the way He has chosen for this time for things to work is through us, okay? 99% of the time, 99.9999, okay, if I could do that, I would say 100%, but 99% of the time, no servanthood, no salvation for your friends and family. Nothing of substance in this world advances in the name of Jesus unless ordinary, everyday Christ followers like you and me put on that serving towel and serve people. That's the way I see it. That's what I see in Scripture. It's the way I understand it. Okay? We've got to follow the example of the demoted one who came to serve. If we're to be like Christ, then that's what we're supposed to do. But... but Nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ when all the people are in it are in servant mode and have their sacrificial spirit engaged. I mean, then the poor get served, people around the world get served, the young people get served, elderly people get served, people come to faith in Christ. It just comes down to whether we just talk a good game. And I know I'm talking to one of the most reputable churches in the county when it comes to serving, right? Not in our community, it's not to put anybody else down, but people have joined this church because they've seen in the past, they've seen, they've watched us and they've gone, we just saw what you were doing in the community and we just wanted to come be a part of it. But are we, are you just going to talk a good game? Or are you really going to be gripped by Jesus, by the one who was demoted, who was a servant, the one who took on the form of a human, even to the point of death on a cross, and live like that? When we do, there's just not, you can't stop the church from doing good in this world. The gates of hell cannot prevail against that. Don't, like, don't have a normal Christmas. Grasp who he is, worship him, adore him, and then try to be more like him. Like, through the Holy Spirit working inside of you. You say, Marty, how can you get demoted and get knocked down and all the stuff you're talking about? Put others first and then find joy. Like, how does that happen, right? Well, it's because doing things God's way leads to being rescued, being lifted, being lifted up from what's keeping you down. It raises your sinking ship, so to say, and puts it on a new course. When you live the life God has for you, you find something unique happens. Because Jesus humbled Himself and trusted God for His future. Therefore, let's read the next few verses. We can trust God for our future. There's more than just what this world is. Okay, Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in earth, on, on earth, under the earth, in heaven, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Therefore, I love that. This says, therefore, God exalted him. Because he did all that, God turned around and exalted him to the highest place. And in the case of Jesus, gave him the name that is above every name. What is that name? Jesus? No. The name Jesus is his incarnate name. Told his mom, this is what you're going to name him. This is what he's going to be on earth. So his buddies are going to be like, hey, hey, Jesus, right? Jesus describes his work for our redemption. He told Mary, he shall be called by you and those on earth, Jesus. But then as he's resurrected and ascends into heaven and exalted by God, lifted into heaven and given the name above every name. What is that name? Jesus is not the name that is above every name according to what's written here. Verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's Lord Jesus, right? To the glory of God the Father. They're going to acknowledge Him as Lord. Lord, there is the name. Revelation 19.16 on His Robe and on his thigh, he has the, this name written. King of kings, Lord of lords, right? So the issue is not, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know Jesus? The question I would ask is, do you know Jesus as Lord? There's a difference, right? And when you do, you find great joy in being rescued from yourself, from your ways, from you being Lord, and you get pulled up, lifted up, no more sinking in the mire. Doesn't mean prosperity. It means real joy. Right? Romans 10.9 If you declare with your mouth, mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's the key, is that Lord part and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. How do you know if He is your Lord? How do you know if He, he saved you? There's two things I want to give you, and then we'll pray. Okay? You like how, how that works? Preachers always say, just this and then we'll end. Just this and we'll end. It keeps you going for ten more minutes. Okay? It gives you hope. Okay? How do you know if He saved you? Number one, enduring faith. You fall and struggle but here you are back again. Right? You get knocked down. Something happens. Here I'm back again. You could say perseverance, right? The people who hang around a while get fired up and then fade away. I, I see that all the time. Other pastors, other churches, you see it all the time. There's no enduring faith because there's no Lord. What about you? Enduring faith. And, that, and I'll say this too. That, that's good times, bad times, right? That's enduring faith. That means when it's hard, you hang in there. You hang in there where you're called. Right? I've been called to be pastor here. So when it's been good, love it. I'm here. When it's bad, I'm here. Right? Don't have to love it, but I'm here. I mean, I've, I've had this conversation with somebody sometimes. There, there was a season in my life, I've shared this, but I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly. There's a season in my life, I did not want to come here and stand up here and preach. I didn't. I was miserable. I hated it. 
I begged God, just let me go. And he would say, no. I, I called Rocky. I said, what do I do with this? Am I wrong to stand up there and not want to do it? Like, have no motivation. Not even want to be here. Is it wrong for me to stand up there and preach? Hating it. And he said, no. In the end, you'll find great joy in just being obedient. Unless he tells you to go. I remember Charles Stanley telling his son that, that whole story. Probably have shared this with you because I know I've shared that story. God just, Charles Stanley, all that stuff going on with him, if some of you know that back in the day, and his son wanted, was like, Dad, why do we stay? He said, Son, I understand. You're right about every bit of that stuff. We should just leave. But when I go in my prayer closet and I pray, God says stay. So I stay. And then I get to like now and these times through the book of Mark and looking forward to getting back to that. And I, and I, and the joy comes back around. And I go, enduring faith, thank you for some kind of sign that I'm okay, right? Preaching to myself here, okay? It makes me, gives me assurance, okay? Perseverance, enduring faith. And then second part of that is, the fruit produced by that faith. Romans 1 talks about the fruit of winning souls to Christ. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. You're changing year by year, getting better. Hebrews 13, fruit of the fruit of worship. Growing in a desire to praise His name, to worship Him. And when you do something, just gets stirred up inside of you. If worshiping Him to you is just kind of... Let's get through this part. Right? I'm hoping as you endure in your faith, there'll be something that just grows in you that goes, I'm starting to actually, enjoy, like, like I'm enjoying just adoring Him and worshiping Him, right? You got that going on? You love worshiping God more than most anything else? So abiding faith, fruit produced in that faith. Is Jesus Lord of your life? That's what those two things show. So he can be, if he's not. I always have to throw that out there. Well, not always. There's been times I didn't, and people got saved anyway. Check that out, right? Then I call Rocky and say, I didn't even do an invitation this morning, and this person got saved. And he laughs at me, and it's like, it's funny God can do this without us, right? So there are moments. That's at 99%, right? But a lot of things led to that. Anyway, confusing, I know. Um, let's move on. He can save you. Reach out and call upon the name of the Lord. That's all you got to do this morning. He is Lord. Is He your Lord? And so, let's just stand this together this morning. They're going to come back up. And we're going to sing some more. And as we stand, I'm just going to ask you this question. What would stand in your way this morning of the things I've talked about? Pride? Really? We're going to let pride stand in the way of worshiping God or coming to faith in God. Would it be cynicism? That keeps a lot of people from, from faith in Christ. But you can take that to your grave and it won't get you anywhere. 
sorry, I just thought of the joke. You know, here, the headstone that says, here lies an atheist all dressed up, no place to go. And my, my prayer is that in the next couple of moments, those have, of you who have been rescued by the Lord and you understand what all that means and what that little nativity scene means and all those things, you will pour your heart out in thanksgiving, just remembering that time when Jesus called your name and you surrendered to Him as Lord. And you can think back to that time. may not be able to pick a day or remember when it, but you know Jesus saved me. And I'm going to pour my heart out to Him here just for a moment for this Christmas season. I, life gets too busy and I don't do it enough like I should. Praise Him for getting you through those enduring moments like I was sharing a moment ago, how He just gets you through. And you come out on the other side more joyful and you just go, I can't believe I would not have made it without Him. I wouldn't be standing here in faith still without Him. His Holy Spirit, I just know that He's in me and I'm thankful. Just thank Him for the time that He called you out and you answered. And reminisce about what that felt like. And celebrate it. For the rest of you, if you have any doubt, just get that cleared up. God's hand is outstretched to you, and you can take it. And that's as clear as I can be. And I'm, I'm going to stop talking. And I just ask that we just don't move around, go get kids, that kind of thing for this song. But we just worship Jesus for, for just this, this song. And then I'll just leave that between you and God this moment. So... If that's you and you want to turn your life over to Christ, you just you just repent. You just turn from you as Lord, your sin and yourself, and you just turn to Jesus. And I'll just leave that up between you and God. And if that happens for you this morning, changing from you thinking you're Lord to you going, yes, Jesus is now Lord of my life, you just let us know that so we can help you. And we just can celebrate with you. So, Father, we are so grateful. We are so amazed. It's we get ready to sing. I just It's beyond us that you would love us so much. Jesus, you are awesome, completely awesome. May we honor you in the way we carry your name as your servants. Break our hearts for those around us who need you. Father, may we put on a serving towel and just go out these doors and serve the people around us, our family, our friends, this community, this world not worrying about the demotions or our pride or whatever that brings, but knowing we are serving You, the, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we do it with humility and joy, just knowing the kingdom is advancing because of what You are doing through us. And we just love being given the opportunity to know You. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.